Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dot Mill Docs, the military health system's official podcast. I'm Elizabeth McCleary-Kill-Lockwood, and it's Tuesday, February 23rd, 2010. Today, we are joined by Marion Tanofsky-Kraft, PhD and assistant professor in the Department of Medical and Clinical Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. Dr. Tanofsky-Kraft is here to tell us about a team of scientists at USU and the National Institutes of Health that have piloted a psychotherapy program with the aim of preventing excessive weight gain in teenage girls deemed at risk for obesity. Dr. Tanofsky-Kraft, welcome to Dotmill Docs. Thank you. Uh, can you share a little bit about how the study got started and how the National Institutes of Health and USU got together? Sure. Well, I, I had done a, a I, well, I was a postdoc at the at the NICHD, and then was offered a position over here at USIS, and I continue to collaborate closely with the folks at NIH. Uh, and I'm a clinical psychologist, and they're a pediatric endocrinologist. So. Given that obesity is really quite multifaceted, uh, having a multimodal involvement from different disciplines, I think, is really important. Okay, so you guys got together to start studying how to prevent obesity then? Well, it really began from, uh, I should move back, um, as everybody knows, the rates of pediatric obesity are climbing dramatically, and, and probably the biggest predictor of adult obesity is uh, elevate, being heavier during childhood, but there are also certain eating behaviors that promote, obviously, but disordered eating behaviors that specifically promote uh, excessive weight gain over time. And uh, part of my research when I was at the NICHD was really examining these disordered eating behaviors, both cross-sectionally, what were they associated with, which was, you know, increased depressive symptoms, increased concerns about body shape and weight, and also what were they predictive of. And and one of the more interesting findings that we had uh, is that in two longitudinal studies, we found that these kids actually gain more weight over time if they report this disordered eating pattern uh, above and beyond what they should be gaining given their current body weight. Before we move much farther, can you tell us what the NICHD is? Oh, sure. It's the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. It's one of the institutes at the NIH. Okay. Um, so then are, are teenage girls being targeted more than other, other groups of people? Yes. Now, we're specifically targeting teenage girls because they report this particular disordered eating pattern, which we've, we've coined loss of control eating. It's really a, a sense of being unable to stop eating. Uh, um, and, it, and it's very similar to what, what's called binge eating, which is eating a large amount of food with a sense of loss of control. We right. call it loss of control eating because um, the kids don't always tell us necessarily that they ate a gigantic amount, but they'll tell us that they ate too much and couldn't stop. Okay. Um, so we're targeting girls because they tend to report this behavior more than boys, although boys report it too. Oh, interesting. But, of course, it must be rather difficult then because aren't teenagers supposed to be eating more and gaining weight and growing yeah. big? So that's when you're, you're raising probably what, what is, is so exciting about working with children and adolescents is that they are growing. They're supposed to be gaining weight. So by working with kids, we have a grand opportunity to maybe just slow their weight gain trajectory or get them to maintain their body weight. So once you're working with a very overweight adult, you need them to lose weight. Right. Whereas when you're working with a child or adolescents, if adolescent, excuse me, if you can either get them to slow their weight gain trajectory or to maintain their weight, and they're going to fall into a healthier percentile for com compared to all the other boys and girls their age. Right. 
Um, so it's 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 a wonder. It, it's one of the reasons that I'm I'm very very thrilled that Michelle Obama is is um, you know drawing attention to the issue because it really needs to start with the children and adolescents. Right. Okay. And if you can kind of control their weight gain and. Um, total weight but in those age ranges, then it's probably easier to control once they're adults. Exactly. And, um, you know, and from, from you know, my, my particular point of view is that we know, um, not just we, most people know that it's much healthier to eat a salad than a, than a Big Mac for lunch. And most people right. know that it's healthier to, you know, play outside sports than sit in front of the Xbox. Right. Um, so... What my work really does, and uh, that of my mentor uh, up at up at um, the Rudd Center at Yale University, is is that it's one of two things. It's really about policy changing things in the environment, such as getting kids more PE, uh, getting healthier foods in the system, you know, making it possible for them to um, have access to healthier foods. But the other component that I really focus on is the psychological component. Why are people making poor choices, and why are they overeating even if they know it's not good for them? Okay, so that's a great bridge then to my next question. Sure. Why is interpersonal psychotherapy really effective for this type of... Well, uh, you know, I always um, hesitate to say it's effective. We've done a pilot study, and we have promising results. Okay. And we're doing a large treatment uh, trial now, so, or prevention trial now. And so I'm hoping we're going to prove that it's effective. Okay. But, but at this point, I say very tentatively that it looks promising. Um, the reason why we think it seems to um, be be showing these promising results is because what we're doing is we're meeting um, girls at where they at their problems where they use food. So, for example, a girl has a fight with her friend or has a disagreement with a parent, and she goes home afterwards and is a little hungry, maybe starts to eat chips, but she's feeling so badly that she ends up eating the whole bag because she feels so badly and during that time feels like she can't stop. And that that kind of eating over a long period of time, understandably, adds excessive um, weight gain. Right. So what, what interpersonal psychotherapy or IPT does is it um, helps girls improve their relationships. So we teach them some basic skills on how to communicate better, um, how to, uh, you know, get their needs met better and also work with people so they're not offensive. So they don't, and, and also how to express when they're feeling sad so that they feel better in general and they're less likely to use food to cope. Right. So rather than telling young girls how to eat, you're telling, you're helping them solve their own problems before they even get to eating. That's what we think it is, because the, the truth is a lot of the girls in our study play sports. They know how to eat healthy, right. and they often will try to eat healthy most of the other times. Um, so by just telling them that, oh, you know, go home and eat this, this, and this, and exercise this much, you know, they know all of that. And it, and, and, the, and it becomes about, well, why are they overeating when they are overeating? We're going to take a quick break for the Dot Mill Docs Health Beat, news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Ktanovsky-Kroff a bit about the breakthrough this program represents and how psychotherapy may have an impact on other fields of study in the future. Dot Mill Docs Health Beat. Are you equipped for success? A new issue of MHS Profiles was posted at www.health.mil/profiles. 
This seventh issue of the monthly feature takes an in-depth look at the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program, also known as CAP, which offers assistive technology to federal employees with disabilities, wounded service members, federal managers, supervisors, and IT professionals. Check it out to learn more about this important DOD program at www.help.mil slash profiles. The number of suspected soldier suicides increased in January, and the Army's head of suicide prevention has vowed to sharpen the focus on combating the problem. In the new year, said Army Colonel Christopher Philbrick, director of the Army Suicide Prevention Task Force, we won't just maintain our current focus on suicide prevention, we're going to sharpen that focus. The Army's continued dedication to suicide prevention programs is being recognized. In January, the Suicide Prevention Resource Council and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention selected the service's Ask Care Escort model for inclusion in their National Registry of Best Practices in Suicide Prevention, along with 12 other programs. Scientists at the U.S. Army Tank Automotive Research, Development, and Engineering Center and a professor at Columbia University are working on a collaborative study measuring brain damage on traumatic brain injury patients. It's a large problem to the Army and the soldiers, Thomas Meitzler, a scientist at the Army Center, said during a February 3rd interview on the Pentagon Channel podcast, Armed with Science, Research and Applications for the Modern Military. Soldiers who are exposed to blasts associated with roadside bombs often are not aware of any resulting mild TBI and return to duty without proper medical diagnosis and treatment. The study, a cooperative research and development agreement between TARDEC and the Columbia University Medical School, is helping to determine what areas of the brain are susceptible to damage and measuring how the brain is engaged while performing certain functions. All these stories and more are available at health.mil. Log on to stay up to date. This has been your .mil Docs Health Beat. For the Military Health System, I'm Kelly McDonald. All right, and welcome back to .mil Docs. Today, Dr. Chanofsky Kroff, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medical and Clinical Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland, is talking about psychotherapy used to prevent excessive weight gain in teenage girls deemed at risk for obesity. Dr. Chanofsky Kroff, what other kinds of tricks are there then to IPT? How does it really work? Well, what what this particular um, program does is really focuses on um, improving uh, skills, uh, improving uh, how people talk to their 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 significant others, how, um, you know, using, you know, I, uh, one, one thing we talk about is body language. You know, if you sit with rolling your eyes or your arms crossed when your mom is telling you to do something, chances are you're not going to resolve what your mom is telling you to do very well, and then you might feel really bad and go use food to eat. So it's really all about communication skills. Okay. Um, are these kind of sessions, just out of curiosity, are they more one-on-one or are they done in a group, group setting? We do them in groups for uh, for a couple reasons. Um, but the primary reason is that um, because we're teaching them to communicate better, the group setting is is completely perfect um, because we get to you know we get to see how they interact with one another. So it's almost what we call an interpersonal laboratory. Mm-hmm. We can watch how they're communicating, and we can even stop as group leaders and say, "Hey, you know, how did that sound to you?" To the other group leaders, it's it, it's it's really um, I think a very potent way to work with girls. Okay, and what kind of doctors are involved with this? Clinical psychologists uh, on on in terms of running the groups. Okay, are there also any like dietitians or nutritionists? Um, not well. We do some assessments involving feeding paradigms where we have uh, dietitians running the groups. In our pilot study, we had a dietitian running our comparison group, okay. but for the current study, we were required to have all PhD psychologists. Okay. Um, 
So then if it is if it does prove effective in this clinical study, what comes next? What comes next? That's a great question, and <laughs> we're, we're already working on that. Um, th- one of the exciting things that we found about interpersonal psychotherapy, well, not we found, I should clarify that, what other groups have found about uh, interpersonal psychotherapy is it seems to resonate with, um, with minority groups very well. And, um, in fact, studies looking at uh, treatment of eating disorders with IPT, uh, even if it's not the most effective treatment overall, um, there's always a, a subgroup of um, m- m- um, usually underrepresented minorities who do, who do much better in the IPT group. And we think that's because it meets people where they're at. Um, one of the most exciting studies, um, because IPT was originally designed for depression, uh, was done in Uganda where they have incredibly high rates of depression, and they took the program, they adapted it for the community, and they had community leaders with no training deliver it and had incredible results. Hmm. So our goal really is to move into underserved um, populations uh, and, uh, you know, really people who who aren't getting easy access to this go in do focus groups try to adapt the program and then deliver it by the people who they would see at a clinic as opposed to you know it's sort of in the ivory tower with clinical psychologists right is this something that you could see maybe being implemented in schools or well We've talked about that quite a bit, um, and my collaborators up at Columbia, who are the ones who developed uh, the program for adolescents, have tried to do it in schools. And the problem, I think, that happens in schools is that it, kids find it a bit stigmatizing. Okay. So um, I, I would love to go there, and maybe there's some way we can do that. But at this point, we've... Um, We've, we've, we, we haven't quite gone there yet. One place we would also like to go is, is obviously working with the, um, the children of, of military personnel. Okay. That was going to be my last question. How might this affect kind of the MHS and Well, our I world? think that um, I think our program is, is in some ways well, better suited for, the, for children of military personnel than it is for the, reg, the general population, and I'll tell you why. First of all, the rates... Um, I'm sure most people know so the rates of uh, pediatric obesity for um, military children is high. The rates of disordered eating patterns is much higher um, among military children than it is in the general population. And a lot of people believe that has to do with a couple things. One is stress. Okay. They're under enormous stress with parent deployments. Uh, the other reason is um, the rates of disordered eating patterns in active duty military is pretty high. Oh. Maybe because they need to, um, our, our rationale is that it's because they need to make weights um, for their job, so they may res- um, resort to uh, more aberrant um, eating patterns uh, to, to make those weights. So there's some modeling going on that kids may see their parents doing certain things, so they may be more likely to have um, disordered patterns. Um, IPT really helps not only reduce the stress, but but by targeting the, these behaviors um, so that we, we think that, that the, the children and military personnel would be ideal and would love to um, move into m- more of those kinds of settings. Um, Dr. Mark Stevens is a collaborator of mine. He runs a clinic here at the Uniformed Services, and we certainly do try to recruit through his uh, family medicine contacts, um, but I, w- I would be thrilled to get more directly involved by 
potentially delivering the program in the clinics. Okay. Um, so kind of as a final question, when do you, if your study goes well, when do you think that you'd be able to kind of implement this around the MHS? Um, well, uh, as soon as uh, I get some funding. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, it, it's really, you know, that's, that's uh, I would like to start within the next year working to get it in, in, the, in the clinics around here. They have a huge um, family uh, medicine practice through the, the military families that I would love to get into those. And again, it's, it's more about funding than anything at this point. Right. Well, great. I look forward to hearing how that goes and um, seeing, hoping that it all works out for you. I want to thank you today, Dr. Tanofsky-Kraft, for joining us on Dental Docs. Oh, thank you so much, and, uh, and I appreciate it. And that does it for us this week on Dotmill Docs. Join us this Thursday when Dotmill Docs returns with a visit from Dr. David S. Krantz, Ph.D., Professor and Chair of Medical and Clinical Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. There, Dr. Krantz studies the role of behavior in cardiovascular disorders as well as on various aspects of psychosocial stress and health. The focus of Dr. Krantz's research is on behavioral factors in coronary heart disease, using both laboratory and field approaches to study the role of mental stress as a trigger of cardiac ischemia, the inadequate supply of blood flow in coronary patients. This work, in collaboration with researchers at several other institutions, has been funded by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and the MacArthur Foundation. His most recent project examines the role of acute stress as a trigger of life-threatening heart failure. Until next time, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. Dotmill Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at dotmilldocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes. 